0: This is Crossroads, the Get Religion
1: Podcast. Here's the lead from the New York Times. Almost as soon as Pope Francis became the head of the Roman Catholic Church in 2013, Raymond Burke, an American cardinal, emerged as his leading critic from within the church, becoming a de facto anti-pope for frustrated traditionalists who believed Francis was deluding doctrine. So what is Pope Francis doing now, punishing Cardinal Burke by taking away both his Vatican apartment and his stipend? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book, Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So, Terry, what do you think is going on with Cardinal Burke, and what do you think the press thinks is going on? Well, let's
0: flip those two questions around in order. I think from the viewpoint of the press, the crucial word here is reform. And once you've established the meaning of the word reform, you can then get to what I think is actually going on here. In almost every mainstream press, as opposed to Catholic press, mainstream press story that you read, the word reform will appear. You will also see references from the Pope, secondhand quotes usually, accusing Burke Of inserting ideology into Catholic life, and ideology is the word that the Pope has used to attack his critics in the Episcopate in the United States. They are bringing ideology into church life. Ideology, of course, would mean cultural and political beliefs. Burke is someone who for decades in the Benedict era in particular, was a person who was considered a global authority, not on ideology, but on the content of Catholic doctrine. So as we've discussed here at Get Religion in the Past, if the press thinks that politics and political issues are the most important things in the world, religion not so much, ideology is real and doctrine isn't all that real. And if you've followed that logic at that point, everything pivots on who is a reformer and who is a person who is attempting to change doctrine in some ways that are bad for Catholicism. In other words, he's not a reformer, or pardon me, in Lutheran company, but if he's a reformer, he's a reformer who's trying to break up the Catholic Church or cause changes so major that it might split. So when I wrote a column about this issue, about the word reform, I looked up a bunch of definitions, and this online definition is the one that I thought was most Appropriate in part because it includes a little bit of religious language. This online definition said, reform means make changes for improvement in order to remove abuse and injustices. Reform a political system. Bring, lead, or force to abandon a wrong or evil course of life, conduct, and adopt a right one. The church reformed me reformed your conduct, a change for the better as a result of correcting abuses. Justice was for sale before the reform of the law courts. Another definition, improve by alteration or correction of errors or defects and put into a better condition. Reform the health system of this country. So whenever the press basically frames what's happening here, is that Burke is an opponent of the Pope's attempts to reform Catholicism. Framing the story that way assumes that there are defects, abuses, and injustices in Catholicism and Catholic doctrine that the Pope is attempting to reform, and Burke for political and cultural reasons, is attempting to defeat him. I don't know of any other way to read this, since most people in America will not read the New York Times story, and I think that's fine. But see, the lead in the Catholic story gets one thing right. That phrase for frustrated traditionalists who believed Francis was deluding doctrine, that is exactly what the traditionalist would say they're worried about. And the word doctrine appearing in the lead of a New York Times story in many ways is kind of a a victory for clarity in coverage. Later in the story, you have some conservatives have attributed France's disciplinary activity. This is Bishop Strickland and now Cardinal Burke. To the new head of the church's office on church doctrine, the Augustine Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez. But supporters of Francis assert that he had exercised prodigious patience with criticism over the last decade in the interest of opening up healthy debates, but that it wore thin as the critiques became ideologically tinged, and they say seem intent on dividing a church headed in a direction that traditionalists do not support. Now, once again, if you Take out the word ideologically and say that there are two different groups in the church who have different views of the state of Catholic doctrine. I think that would be a completely accurate description of what's happening here. In the version of all this that most people will read, which is the Associated Press, you would have this kind of language. Burke, a 75-year-old canon lawyer whom Francis had fired as the Vatican's high court court Justice in 2014 has become one of the most outspoken of the Pope, his outreach to LGBTQ Catholics, and his reform project to make the Church more responsive to the needs of ordinary faithful. Now, that's a loaded sentence. If that's what reform means from the viewpoint of the Pope, or is that what reform means from the viewpoint of the Associated Press? But here's the other important sentence right after that. Twice, Burke has joined other conservative cardinals in issuing formal questions of the pontiff, known as Dubia, asking him to clarify questions of doctrine that upset conservatives and traditionalists. In the first, they asked Francis to clarify his outreach to divorced and civilly married Catholics, and Francis never replied In the second, they asked whether same-sex couples could receive church blessings and received a conditional maybe in response. I think it was stronger than a maybe. Once again, that's all accurate material. But here's the point I want to make. If Burke is the former head of the Vatican's high court and a prominent theologian for Benedict, who made him a cardinal, if I remember correctly, and they began this process of questioning the pope with the dubia process the dubia process is a strictly defined catholic procedure related to questions of doctrine what the pope in effect is saying is yes burke is asking doctrinal questions but he's doing it for political reasons and i think burke would deny that totally because all of his questions concern the current status of things that are in the Catholic Catechism produced during the era of John Paul II and Benedict. So that's a long answer to your question, but basically if you swap doctrine for the word ideology and then you take a really sweeping dictionary definition of reform I think what's happening here becomes a whole lot clearer.
1: So overall, what do you think the strengths and the weaknesses of the New York Times treatment of this? This is a big story. I saw it very late last night, and while not surprised it had happened, I, I was a little surprised that it was being covered as well as it was.
0: Well, they used the word doctrine in the lead, which is good. But almost everything that comes after that turns this into some sort of personal or politically based war. And short of walking the aisle of Journalism Church and questioning their own approach to the word reform and their commitment to the word ideology, I don't know what else the New York Times could have done. This story, frankly, was better than I thought. And I think at this point that could be because there isn't that much on-the-record information out there. And the two reports we have that have confirmed the bare bones of what happened come to us care of the Associated Press, which claims its own source confirming that the Pope has stripped Cardinal Burke of his apartment and his stipend to live in Rome as a retired— Vatican official, who I believe is still the proper age to vote in elections for the papacy, by the way, we should mention. We also have that confirmed with some interesting tweaks, which we can discuss by the increasingly essential Catholic publication called The Pillar. This is another one of those things where the Catholic press is breaking these stories on both left and right, and then it's filtering through attributed material into the mainstream press, which could be one reason why the mainstream press coverage is pretty good or better than I expected.
1: So then talk about the Pillars coverage. Uh, first of all, what's the publication and what did it bring to the oh, table?
0: Good point. The Pillar is an independent website. It has no ads. It's funded completely by subscriptions of its readers. And it's founded by two Canon lawyers who also are experienced journalists. And J.D. Flynn, who I should admit up front is someone I have known for several years now, and even did a speaking engagement on his behalf before, I stress, before the founding of the Pillar. The Pillar has confirmed there was a meeting in which Pope Francis discussed a punitive measure, but it said it's not clear to their sources at the Vatican whether the measure would include both stripping him of an apartment and a stipend. But they noted, and these are canon lawyers, that since the stipend goes to cardinals living in Rome, if Burke loses his apartment and is thus forced to leave Rome, he loses his stipend. So to some degree, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. The pillar confirmed that Burke has not been informed directly of this decision by the Vatican. So it's still possible that there could be a change. What I thought was interesting and very Catholic media oriented was J.D. Flynn got personal in there and talked about his own encounters with Cardinal Burke. And we'll switch this in a second with the language that's being used by a candid voice on the Catholic left in terms of journalism. Let me just read some of this for our listeners. While he speaks out vociferously on ecclesiastical issues as he sees them, Burke does not have the temperament to speak out on a personal slight. In fact, I've been in his company several times in recent years and I've not heard him speak ill of the Pope personally or of the Pope's decision to remove Burke from the leadership positions he once held. As it happens, I've seen Burke grow visibly uncomfortable in the presence of Catholics insulting Francis personally rather than criticizing the pope's theological approach or leadership style. Note the difference there between attacking the pope as a person and attacking his theological approach. Burke has that kind of personal piety in my observation, which makes the idea of denigrating the person of the pope very uncomfortable. Even while he is absolute and sometimes strident in his criticisms of Francis's approach on some issues, and there he meets theological or doctrinal issues. Now that's coming from someone who has had personal contacts with Burke and has had to cover him as a journalist in the Catholic press. I think that's fascinating because this issue of personal style leads us back to the fact that what Burke would do is play to his own strength, which is the Catholic legal process. He's the former head of the Catholic high court, so to speak, at the Vatican, and Francis removed him from that. So whatever Burke knows, Burke knows the Catholic system for debating questions of Catholic doctrine as defined by canon law. So what Flynn is saying is, If the Pope is calling Burke his enemy, that probably is something that is about the fact that Burke is asking concrete questions to the Pope about issues of doctrines using methodology that under Catholic law, the Pope is expected to answer the questions. And by the way, he's supposed to answer yes or no. And the Pope has refused to answer yes or no on these doctrinal questions. And he didn't answer the first set of dubia at all. He ignored them. But with the Synod coming up, he answered, as the story stressed, he answered some of them, but he never gave a yes or no answer to a question like, is it possible for the Church to bless relationships based on sexual conduct? I'm not quoting the dubia directly, but this is the gist of it. They ask a doctrinal question about are you addressing the church's actual teachings on moral theology about marriage and sexuality or not? Yes or no? Do you think the church can bless relationships based on conduct that our catechism calls out of line, sinful, sinful? And potentially highest degree of moral sin. So it all comes down to whether you think Burke is good or bad. So compare Flynn's language describing Burke as a personality with a rather blunt tweet from a well-known journalist on the Catholic Left who simply stated in response to the AP story, a well-deserved rebuke of one of the biggest curse word beginning with the word letter A and ending with holes, in the U.S. Catholic Episcopate. That's a rather different take on the personality and stance of Burke, and that's coming from someone on the left side of the Catholic journalism universe.
1: I'm going to speculate here that had Cardinal Burke simply gone to the press, which he wouldn't have—he's a a man of procedure— Had he simply gone to the press and expressed his doubts about what he thought Francis was doing, Francis could have easily ignored him completely. But because he followed procedure, the Church's own legal procedure, to address these questions, I think this is why he is being basically run out of Rome.
0: Well, let me add one thing to that. He followed the proper procedures, and then when the Pope— either didn't answer the first time at all or gave incomplete answers in the second case, he then released the actual documents to the Catholic press. Burke did. And then the Pope did the same thing. So we finally had documents come out about this debate from both sides. But I would say that Burke pushed the Vatican process into the public eye, Burke and the other people. Of course, he was not the only cardinal to sign the dubia. So what I have always called the pro-catechism Catholics, they pushed this out into the press. When the Pope didn't respond, they would say, according to the actual dictates of Catholic law, especially this, I think he truly angered them by not giving yes or no answers. Because the dubia are supposed to be answered with an affirmative or a negative response and then an explanation. Instead, the Pope gave, well, this is kind of what I'm thinking about it right now, and this is what we may or we may not do. And by the way, I am kind of open to this whole thing of blessing same sex relationships for the following reasons, but that doesn't mean we're changing our doctrine on marriage, which. That should sound familiar to people following the news because that's basically what the Church of England and Canterbury just did, the exact same approach. We're going to leave the doctrines where they are, but we're going to change totally how we handle these things on the ground. And that's also what's happening in Germany. And we had, and Clementi Lisi wrote a piece about this for Get Religion, the Pope basically sent a stinging letter to the liberal bishops of Germany the other day that said, stop talking about same-sex blessings and the ordination of women, cool it. And I read that as saying, cool it, we're not there yet. Stay in your lanes. Don't get ahead of things. That's one way to interpret what the Pope did. Clementi was just noting with great interest that the press continues to ignore anything the Pope says that kind of shows these same-sex arguments are real, the same-sex blessing arguments are real, that the stakes are high, and that the Pope kind of flew test balloons, but he doesn't want Germany proceeding on as if the church has already ruled on the issue of blessings. So Clementi raised an interesting question we've discussed here on the podcast a couple of times, which is why is the mainstream press ignoring A lot of what the Pope's doing when it's big stories. And while we're at it, why is the press actually ignoring the Catholic left's victories in Germany and all of Europe, especially since Europeans and people related to Germany are driving the synod on synodality? But that's another question. We're gonna watch that for the next couple of years.
1: What did you make of the Associated Press's treatment?
0: I thought it was blunt and way better than I expected. And if you have any knowledge of what's been happening in the Roman Catholic Church, it's pretty easy to read the Associated Press story and figure out what happened here. Like I said, it all comes down to whether the word ideology actually means doctrine, and whether this is a fight about doctrine or some sort of fight about politics. And I'm making scare quotes and air quotes around the word politics in this case. Of course it's about doctrine, but do some of these issues have political ramifications? Uh, Well, let's see. Where does Joe Biden stand on same-sex marriage and same-sex blessings? Where does Joe Biden stand on abortion? Where does Joe Biden and, say, Nancy Pelosi probably stand on the ordination of women? So it's hard to raise these valid issues of debates about doctrine, what the pope is doing about them, without it then having a backlash into American Catholic, yes, political life. But Burke is asking doctrinal questions using doctrinal methods. The press needs to start admitting that this is about doctrine.
1: I was gratified to see that the Associated Press Had some rather lengthy quotes from Burke, and without commentary, just basically let him speak for himself.
0: Yeah, basically, like I said, they're getting a lot of these quotes secondhand, and this is what they have to go with. I thought that was an interesting section of the story as well, and kind of fit with what you would see in a publication like The Pillar. So I would agree with you on that.
1: What are the follow-ups? For this, Before we get to kind of root causes, what do the follow-ups the press need to do on this story? Do they try and figure out where Cardinal Burke is going to finally land?
0: Yeah. Well, the root causes and what's driving this are one and the same. And the simple fact of the matter is no matter what he does, the Pope can't make the Internet and social media go away. Do you remember that during the Senate Synod on Synodality meetings, they were shut down to press involvement, they were shut down to press conferences, and the Pope even said that people participating in the debates could not release to the press the verbatim copy of their own remarks. So the Pope is saying, we've got to keep all of this Senate Synod on Synodality stuff out of Catholic social media. Yeah, good luck with that. And if, because if it goes into Catholic media, it then goes into the Catholic press. And if it goes into the Catholic press, and I stress left and right, at some point, the mainstream press may have to actually cover it. I have believed all along that a lot of the sources normally used by the mainstream press on the Catholic left are saying, no, 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 don't write about this stuff yet, wait for the Pope, wait for the Synod, let's see what actually happens later that's concrete. Which is why we don't get a story that frankly is as big as German bishops approving same-sex blessing rights in their churches. And openly telling their priests, you are free to do this, and if you do this, we will not follow church procedures on discipline. We will not discipline you. That, sports fans, is a story, and that is a story that people on the left side of the media world would normally celebrate, and they haven't been covering it, or not covering it very much at all, and that's really bizarre. So what's pouring the gasoline on these fires of disunity and debate and attacks on reform? What's pouring gasoline on these fires? And the simple answer to that question is the Internet, which nobody can control. The U.S. government couldn't even control that. And now that you've got people like Elon Musk running around with satellites in the air, nobody's going to shut the internet down completely, no matter what. So they can't control the internet. And if you can't control the internet, you can't control conservative Catholic media. So this stuff is going to get out. It's going to get to the public. But I want to stress here one other thing. Bishop Strickland, Bishop Strickland, who is disciplined, cut off from his diocese in Tyler, Texas. Strickland's got a high profile. Guns on both of his Texas hips approach to social media. He is the social medium maven from Hades from the perspective of this pope and the Vatican structures. That's not Burke. That is not Burke's style So in his own way, Burke may be even more dangerous in that Burke is the former head of the Vatican High Court. He's going to use the structures of the church. He's going to use them in ways that he knows are legal. The Pope knows they're legal. And thus, how do you get him to shut up? Well, you might start by kicking him out of Rome.
1: I guess the question I have is that Burke will – the less he is under the pope's supervision, the more likely he is to finally be public. If Burke remains adamant in his objections, do you expect the pope to possibly even remove him from his seat as a cardinal?
0: Uh, There's no way he could do that. He'd have to find some sort of moral grounds for doing that. Here's what's really interesting. This action against Burke, this is the sort of thing that ends up affecting money and zip codes and addresses on doors and whatever. There are a lot of retired cardinals in Rome. Does this apply to all of them? Is the Pope basically saying, stay in line or I'm going to do this to you And if so, that's a pretty vindictive, personal, and dare I even say political method of attacking your critics. So if this is the case, who's using political styled mechanisms in this fight? Burke or the Pope? This is why if you read very carefully about the recent coverage of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops, people that were covering that said that there seemed to be disease and nervousness on both among liberal Catholics, people who support the Pope, and conservative Catholics about what happened in the Strickland case. And why would that be? Why are they nervous about the way some of the things are happening? To some degree, they're saying we need to know Legally, under canon law, what the Pope's doing. If an attack takes place in a way that is openly personal and openly political, how does that apply to canon law? How does that apply to if Strickland was doing something wrong? We need to know the details of what he was doing that was wrong. And Strickland has said, I was told that I was to shut up on matters of doctrine. Some of Strickland's critics, and of course, in a Catholic church as divided as we have right now, those critics will be out there. They're saying, oh, there was management issues. Oh, there were maybe, hint, hint, some financial issues. Maybe he was too powerful an administrator who ruled with an iron hand. The problem with that is that eventually would come into a debate about facts. And then you would have the facts according to the critics of Strickland versus the facts according to the supporters of Strickland. But see, all of that's been erased by the fact that the Pope just acted. You're gone. You lose your throne in your cathedral, holding a diocese in the Catholic Church. You could see that all kinds of bishops would say, uh, could we know more about how that happened? Now you have one of the most high profile cardinals in the world, former head of the court. I keep saying that, but I'm saying it for a reason. You have him, one of the authors of the dubio questions, losing his apartment, losing his income, and being a, in effect told, pack your bags and go home. I'll go ahead and ask the next question. In the current Internet age, what happens if people start a fundraising campaign to get Burke another apartment on his own in Rome? What happens if he doesn't leave Rome? What happens if he stays? And (laughs) will the press cover it when it hits that stage? It looks pretty personal what's going on right now. But behind the personal fight are clearly debates about the reforms, quote-unquote, offered by this pope to Catholic doctrine and the future of the catechism.
1: Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much for your time. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads
0: is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.